rest of you, go ahead and get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to end up in Genesis chapter 50. Uh, but we're going to be looking at several little passages of Scripture leading up to there. Uh, so if you want to get to chapter 50 and wait, that's fine. Because, of course, we'll, we'll read the Scripture together and have it on the screen. But if you want to read along with us, start off in Genesis chapter number 37. As we begin our uh, lesson or message this morning, I want to ask you a question uh, that I want you to kind of think about uh, for the entirety of the message. How would, you, how would your view of your life change if you believed God was with you in every situation you faced? How would the view of your life, would you be depressed? Would you be upset? Would you be, you know, discontent with what you've got? How would your view of your life change if you truly believe that God was with you in every situation? If you believed God was with you in the pain of losing a loved one? How would your view of that situation change? If you truly believe that God was with you in financial difficulty, how would your view of that situation change? How would your view of the situation change if you believed that God was with you in those times of your life where you were betrayed and hurt by someone that you loved? How would, you, how would your outlook of the situation change if not only did you know that God was with you in that situation, but God had a plan through that situation? Even though it feels hard, even though it feels difficult, even though it may be painful, how would your view of your situation change if you truly believed that God was with you in it? See, Andy Stanley, he says that's the question that the life of Joseph brings up as we study his life. You know, sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes good things happen to bad people. And we have a hard time understanding it, and we have a hard time knowing what God is doing. And that's what we see happen in the life of Joseph. But in his life, we also see what it looks like to truly live your life believing that God is with you in every situation. In Genesis 12... We see God, he, of course, he comes to Abraham and he gives Abraham a promise. And he comes to Abraham when he's 75 years old and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. I'm going to give you children that outnumber the sand of the, of the sea and outnumber the stars of the sky. And I'm going to bless you with great things. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And Abraham, through your family and through you, the entire world is going to be blessed. And so he promises Abraham to be his God and never leave him and watch over him in everything. And that promise to Abraham, when Abraham was 75 years old, back in Genesis 12, that promise promise is extended to everyone in Abraham's family. Genesis is probably the most important book in the Bible because it shows us how God started everything and it shows us how God began his work of redemption for mankind. And the character that gets the most attention in the book of Genesis is Joseph. Over a quarter of the entire book of Genesis is about Joseph. By the time we get to Joseph, Abraham's family tree is pretty messed up. 
I actually, this week, I, I tried several different times to map out Abraham's family tree for us to see. I used a family tree creator, and I tried to do, do it in, in Excel or PowerPoint, and every time it was like just too much going on, too much stuff. You know, when I did the family tree creator, after I got done halfway through, they're like, this is a weird family. Are you sure you want to continue? And it's just, it's a messed up family right now. Now, Abraham, of course, him and Sarah have Ishmael, have Isaac. Now, him and Hagar have Ishmael, and that's a whole other branch of the family tree that Genesis goes through that we don't want to get into. But they have Isaac. Isaac, of course, he marries Rebekah, his cousin. They have Jacob and Esau. Esau, of course, marries some other women, and that's a whole other branch of the family tree. But then Jacob, he, he flees to, to his cousin's house, to his uncle's house, Laban, and he, he has 12 boys. He has 13 children, but he has 12 boys with four different women two of which are his cousins. So the family tree's just weird at this point. But those 12 sons grow up to become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, one of the sons that they have is named Joseph. And Joseph, the Bible tells us, is Jacob's favorite son. Joseph is the oldest son between Jacob and and Rachel. And Rachel, of course, we saw last week, was, Jake, was Jacob's favorite wife. And so Jacob and his favorite wife have a son. There's a lot, of, there's a lot we didn't get into, a lot of uh, barrenness and, and God getting opening wombs. And it was, a, it, was a, the, it was a whole messed up story we didn't read or study, but you need to read it because it it's, it's, gives us a story so far. But Rachel has Joseph, and Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. Now, Jacob... Of all people in the Bible, he should have understood the problems that come up when you play favorites with your children. Because remember, he wasn't his daddy's favorite. Esau was his daddy's favorite. And it caused bitterness and resentment between Jacob and, and, between Jacob and, and, and uh, uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau. And Jacob steals the birthright and Jacob steals the blessing and has to flee because of all the things that happened. So Jacob, when, when he's having children, should have remembered, you know what? Nothing good comes out of having a favorite. But he, he obviously didn't learn the lesson of his father. And so Joseph is his favorite. Joseph was treated better than all of his other brothers. He got, you know, more food. He had to do less chores. Now, if, how many of y'all have brothers or sisters? All right. How many of you think that one of your brothers or sisters is your parent's favorite? We all think that. Now, as a parent, with two of my children in here and one of them looking online, love you, Lexi, love you, April. They're on a girls' weekend uh, they went on the mother's daughter's weekend, so they're not here with us. But I love you ladies. I miss you. They'll be home tomorrow. But with, you know, my children in here and my, one of my children watching, parents don't have favorites, right? How many of y'all are parents? All right. Do you have a favorite? Keep your hand up. Oh, my Lord. Parents of the year back there. Parents really don't have favorites. I mean, they, you may, they get, some kids get treated differently or treated, you know, as, and here's the thing. And when me and April had Parker... We read every parenting book we could read. Uh, some of them were some bad advice we didn't know at the time. And so when we raised him, I mean, we were strict with him. We had rules set with him. And we were young parents. And, man, we, we followed everything to the door. There was one time, you know, we had lists of things that he got spanked for. 
And you know, we didn't beat, we, we made rules with all the kids. We never spank out of anger. And so if they ever do something that deserves spanking, they have to go to their room and they have to wait and we have to calm down because we don't ever want to spank out of anger or anything. And so, and, but at the time we, you know, we had rules. This is what he gets spanked for. Well, one day uh, we're in Bible college. Parker does something. I don't remember what it was, but he did something that, what was it? That was one of the things? Oh, Lord. That, okay. All right. Well, bad on my decision. All right. We're going to say you stole a car because that looks better for me. All right. So Parker stole a car. And that was one of the things you got spanked for. But I remember we were in church and it was, he did something that, you know, he was supposed to get a spanking for. But it was also he was getting baptized that Sunday. He gotten saved, and so he was getting baptized. And so, you know, we go through church, and he goes up, and he gets baptized, and we get home. And I, because I'm a good dad, I'm like, I'm going to let him go. You know, he got baptized. Obviously, it was something stupid anyway. And so I'm like, I'm going to let him go. It's no big deal. So we get home, and we're getting ready for bed. And I'm like, all right, buddy, go to bed. And he says, but, Dad, you have to spank me. I'm like, you're an idiot. You know, don't ever. So, I mean, I, I think it was, I wasn't like, bad boy, don't do it again. But, you know, we were very strict with what he watched, where, you know, what he listened to. We were very strict with him. We were less strict with Connor, and we're really, honestly, even less strict with Lexi. And you're like, why? Because you love them more? No, because we're tired now. You know, we're, we're exhausted now. And it's easier to just let them skin the cat. Who cares? You know what? Uh, it's going to be okay. And so it's not like we love them more. It's just like, you know, now... We're old and we're tired and I don't want to deal with it anymore. And so that's, that's the reason they think, oh, you love them more. No, I just don't want to deal with them anymore. But Joseph was his daddy's favorite. And Jacob let everybody know it. He, he received, you know, more food. He even got him a coat of many colors, a special coat. And the coat was important because in this culture, each father would give one of their sons a kind of a special coat with long sleeves and real fancy and different colored. And so it wasn't an unusual coat in the culture, but it was unusual for Joseph to get it because it typically went to the oldest son. It signified who was going to receive the blessing, who was going to receive the inheritance, and it also signified who didn't have to do manual labor anymore. And that was always the oldest son. That's Reuben. But here's Joseph. He's one of the youngest sons, He's actually the next, next to youngest son. He, he receives this code, and so all of his brothers know, well, well, dad's going to give him the blessing. Dad's going to give him the inheritance, and now he doesn't have to do the work that we have to do because he's dad's favorite. Now, Benjamin at that time, he was also one of Rachel's children, but he was probably seven to ten years old, and so Joseph's brothers just hated him, just really, truly hated him. Now, those of you that have siblings, there, there are, you know, I have, I have uh, three brothers and a sister. There are five of us in my family. I got three brothers and a sister. And I don't hate any of my brothers or my sister. There are some I like better than others. There are some I, I talk to more. I like hanging out with more. I get along with better. So, you know, I like some better than others, but I don't hate any of them. But Joseph's brothers hated him. And then Joseph starts having dreams. And one of his dreams, he dreams that his brothers and his mom and dad are out 
you know, get sheaving wheat and his, his wheat sheaf rises up and all their wheat sheaves gather around and bow down to it. And so he has this weird dream. How many of y'all have vivid dreams? Any vivid dreamers here? I do a lot. My sister does a lot. I have vivid dreams. You know, and th- these are crazy dreams. I had a crazy dream one time. It was a couple years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday. We were, me and April and, you know, the family were in our house and we're, we're just having a, a normal day. And I'm, I'm noticing that, you know, the, the attic's open and all of a sudden, Parker, I believe, comes running in, and he goes, hey, zombies are coming. It's a zombie attack. And so we all get up in the attic because zombies don't look up and zombies can't climb. So we're living in the attic, and we're having a good time waiting for the zombies to come. And I'm looking around, and Connor's not there. And I'm like, where's Connor? April says, he's playing in the yard. Well, there's zombies coming. So I'm like, I'm going to go get him. And swear to goodness, April in the dream said, no. He knew what was going to happen. He, he plays outside. He gets eaten. She's just like, you know, forget him. He's done. And so Connor may not be April's favorite, but I went and fought the zombies for you, buddy, all right? I got your back. But so Joseph has these weird dreams, and he, he tells these dreams, and he goes, hey, this means that one day all of you are going to bow down to me. Now, obviously that doesn't make his, his brothers like him anymore. They hate him even more because of this. Then one day his brothers... They're out in the mountains and they're, they're feeding the goats and they've got the goats, you know, taking the different pastures to make sure they're being, being well fed. And of course, Joseph's at home because, remember, he's a special kid. He's the most loved kid. He's the kid with the coat that says, I don't got to do hard labor. So he's at home and his brothers are out tending to the sheep and the goats. And his dad says, why don't you go check on your brothers? Joseph was a little, he was a little snitch. So it's like, go check on your brothers, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so Joseph goes to where his brothers are supposed to be, but they're not there. They've moved the herd and didn't tell anybody. So he asks around and finds out where they're at. And he goes and he finds them. And as he's going to see them, they, his brothers, see him coming from afar off. And they know who he is because he's got a special coat on. He's got his I'm daddy's favorite coat on. So they see Joseph coming and they're like, man... Here comes that little tattletale. Man, I hate that guy. So look what happens in Genesis 37, starting in verse number 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him. And cast him into some pit, and we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Now, there are times that me and my brothers and sisters didn't get along, but I've never, you know, thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him and plot it out. Like, I'm gonna, I'll, you know, I'll take him here, I'll kill him here, I'll put him, you know, hide the body, no one's ever going to find it, you know, I'll get away with it. I never plot, now there are times, you know, in anger, I'd scream, I'm going to kill you, but I was never actually going to kill him. You know, my sister, she tried to kill me and my brother. She tried to stab me, but I got away and then tried to hit my brother with an axe. But she was just having a bad day. It was just kind of an emotional thing. But, you know, most, and I know that there are families out there where the, the brothers or sisters plot to kill each other, and they do, and they're sociopaths and all that. I know that, but the norm is not, I'm going to kill this guy because I hate him. And look, they could have gotten away with it. You know, kill Joseph, throw his body in a cave. No one's, there's no CSI. There's no police force. They're going to get away with it. So, but they, they're like, we're going to kill him. But look what happens in chapter 21. And Reuben heard it. Now, Reuben, remember, Reuben's the oldest. Reuben's the one that should have the coat. Reuben's the one that should be daddy's favorite, but he's not. 
And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit and that is in this wilderness, and lay no hand on him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him unto his father again. So Reuben's like, Look, let's, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit to, to teach him a lesson. Let's just, you know, let him suffer for a little while and, and he'll, he'll, he'll learn his lesson and he'll stop being such a little jerk and that'll be fine and dad'll be happy and we'll be happy and everything will be fine. And so they, they take his coat off and they throw him in the pit, but then Reuben leaves. We don't know why, but Reuben has to go for a while. Maybe there's a sheep he had to go herd up or something. And so Reuben's gone. Joseph's in a pit. His brothers, the ones that wanted to kill him, are sitting around this pit kind of mocking him and making fun of him. Probably, you know, knowing brothers are probably throwing rocks in there on him or, you know, something, just picking on him and making fun of him. When all of a sudden they see a caravan of slave traders going and Levi, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, not Levi, Judah, you know, Judah, the one that is going to eventually bring forth the Messiah. Jesus, who's the line of the tribe of Judah, Judah, that guy is like, forget killing him. Let's make some money off of this idiot. Let's sell him into slavery. So they drag him up. They sell him to the, these, these slave traders, and Joseph is taken away as a slave. They take his coat, they rip his coat, dip it in blood, take it back to Jacob, their dad, and say, hey, we found this coat in the wilderness. Isn't this Joseph's coat? I guess he's dead. And so now Jacob thinks his favorite son is dead. He's never going to know any difference as far as they know. Joseph has been sold into slavery, his brothers hated him so badly that they got rid of him for some money. They lied about what happened to him, make your dad think he's dead. He's being dragged away from home, you know, and basically his hands tied, being mistreated. And treated. You know, he's gone from being daddy's favorite to now he's, he's, he's a slave. He's property that's going to be sold. Look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. So Joseph goes down to Egypt. They, the slave traders take him to Egypt, and he's bought by a powerful man named Potiphar. Potiphar is one of the guards of Pharaoh. He's a very wealthy man, very powerful man, very, very, you know, well-to-do guy. But Joseph's a slave. And the Bible says... God was with him. I mean, really? God was with him when his brothers wanted to kill him? God was with him when he was sold as a slave and taken away from home, and God was with him as he was purchased by this man having to walk hundreds of miles from home to be purchased as property? Yeah, God was with Joseph, but what's more important than that is Joseph understood this. Joseph knew that God was with him. So when Joseph gets to Potiphar's house as a slave, he doesn't mope around and try to escape. He serves Potiphar faithfully. Look at 39, chapter 39 again, verses 4 and 5. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands, and Joseph found great in his, grace in his sight, 
and he served him and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had, he put into his hand. So even Potiphar sees that, that Joseph is, there's something special about Joseph. Joseph doesn't get down there like, well, God's forsaken me and all is over. and My brothers hate me and my dad thinks I'm dead. And man, my life's just over. I can't do anything. He, he serves God. He's faithful to God. He's faithful to Potiphar. And Potiphar sees something special about him and promotes him to basically the manager of the house. Now, that's a good position to have. He's the manager of the house to a, most, to a very powerful Egyptian, but he's still a slave. I mean, it's not like he's rolling in the dough now. He's, he's still property. He's just well-treated property right now. But so he, he serves God faithfully wherever God had put him. Jesus, Joseph didn't believe that God was with him in the pit and God was with him in slavery. Now, Potiphar, of course, he recognizes Joseph's talents, says something about him, puts him in charge of everything. But Joseph's got a wicked wife. And so this wicked wife constantly is coming to Joseph and propositioning him to have an affair with her. But Joseph, every time, turns her down. And he says, it's, it wouldn't be right to God. It's against the law of my God. Also, it wouldn't be fair to, you know, wouldn't be right to Potiphar. He's, he's put me in control of everything but you. And so it would be, it would be mis, you know, mistreating the relationship I have with, with your husband if I were to do that, but it'd also be against the law of God. So every time he refuses. But one day, Potiphar's out of the house for work, and Joseph's cleaning the house, and here comes Mrs. Potiphar. She says, hey, husband's gone. Let's, let's have an affair. And Joseph says, no. So she grabs him by his coat, basically saying, I'm going to make you do what I want you to do. And Joseph runs, the Bible says, runs out of his clothes to get away from her. So he, he streaks to get away from this woman, but he does what's right. Well, Potiphar comes home, and Mrs. Potiphar, we don't know her name, she lies about Joseph. She says, this Hebrew tried to rape me. Now, Potiphar's a powerful man. He's one of the captain of the guards to the largest and most powerful army in the world at this time. He has a lot of authority. He has a lot of power. And according to the laws of Egypt, he could have had Joseph killed right away for even attempting what Mrs. Potiphar was accusing him of. He could have had him killed, and I think he would have if he didn't know his wife that well. He knew Joseph was a good guy. He knew his wife wasn't. But you can't really go to your wife and say, ah, oh, you're lying. So he had to do something, so he, what's he do? He has Joseph thrown in prison. Now, again, prison's not the best, but prison's better than having your head cut off. Can we all agree on that? So God was even with him here. And so Joseph gets thrown into prison. And now he's gone from being a favorite in his dad's house, being thrown in a pit, to being sold into slavery, to being the, the most powerful slave in Potiphar's house, to now he's in jail. So look what the Bible says in Genesis 20, 39 again, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. Really? Doesn't seem like God's with Joseph right now. I mean, Joseph, well, again, he was starting to get some success, starting to get some authority, starting to get some, some prominence, and all of a sudden now, boom, he's thrown into prison. 
at this point in Joseph's life, would we really blame him for giving up? Would any of us blame Joseph for saying, you know what, forget it. Every time I try to do something, I get, a, you know, it goes well for a while, but then the carpet just gets pulled out from under me, and I get, you know what, I'm done. Forget it. I'm not doing anything else. But God was with him. Doesn't seem like it's doing him any good, but God was with him. But again, let's continue reading verse 21. So the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So yeah, God's still with him. He's prospering. Now, again, we look at it like, man, look, God's with him. He's prospering in prison. He's getting in control of the prison. Yeah, but he's in prison. Yes, he's the, the prisoner that runs everything, but he's still a prisoner. And the prisons in Egypt were not like the prisons that we have today. And look, today, I don't, I'm not saying go to a prison. You know, it's not a good thing to be put in prison. But they're treated more fairly in our American prisons than they were in the ancient Egyptian prisons. But Joseph, man, he's the most powerful prisoner in Egypt. So Joseph's gone from the pit to the slave market to prison, but his spirit remains great because he knows that God is with him. After several years in prison, a couple of Pharaoh's servants get cast into prison, the butler and the baker. And every time I read the story and tell it, I want to talk about the candlestick maker. But it's just the butler and the baker. Candlestick maker was fine. So the butler and the baker get thrown into prison, and they have weird dreams. And they tell their dream to Joseph. And Joseph says, well, what I think that dream means, what God tells me that dream means, he looks at the, the butler and says, I think in three days you'll be restored to Pharaoh's house. So the butler's happy, the baker's happy, because they say, hey, that means I'm going to be restored too. He looks at the baker and says, but in, in seven days you're going to be hanged. And it happens. Three days the butler's released, restored to Pharaoh's house. Seven days the baker's hanged. And as the butler leaves, he tells Pharaoh, he tells Joseph, I'm going to tell Pharaoh about you. Don't worry, I'm not going to forget about you. I'm going to tell Pharaoh about you, and we're going to get you out of here. But he forgets. He forgets about Joseph, and Joseph stays in prison, forgotten for two more years. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. All he's wanted his entire life is just a little bit of justice. But every time something happens, he's the one that seems to be being mistreated. He's the one thrown into prison. He's the one sold into slavery. He's the one lied upon and cast into prison. He's the one that speaks to these, these two servants of Pharaoh, and they say, hey, we're going to get you out of here. And he's the one that's forgotten and left to rot in an Egyptian prison. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream, and none of his sorcerers and none of his advisors can interpret it. And it's a weird one. He dreams that seven cows come out of the Nile, and they're nice and fat and plump, and then seven kind of skinny, rancid, almost dead cows come out of the Nile, and they eat up these seven, you know, good cows. And so he, he, he's very disturbed by the dream, and no one is able to interpret the dream, and suddenly the butler remembers Joseph. And he says, you know what, there's this guy in prison, when you got mad at me and threw me in prison, that, uh, I don't know why he brought that up, but he did. Uh, he's like, when you got mad and threw me in jail that one time, there was this guy in prison who interpreted my dream and he was right. Maybe bring him up. His name is Joseph. And y'all remember, remember Potiphar? Potiphar's there. 
because he's a captain of Pharaoh's guard. So Potiphar's there. Now Potiphar, again, here's why I think Potiphar knew what was going on, because if Potiphar really thought Joseph tried to rape his wife, don't you think he'd have spoke up and said, no, 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 that guy tried to rape my wife, he should be, he's in prison for that. But Joe, Potiphar didn't. Potiphar said, oh, no, I know Joseph. He's a great guy. Everything he does, the Lord blesses. So Joseph's brought out. He's brought before Pharaoh, and he hears a dream. And Pharaoh asks, hey, can you interpret this dream? And Joseph says, no, I can't, but God can. Now, that's a sketchy thing to say to Pharaoh because Pharaoh believes he's a god. So Joseph says, well, I can't do it. But God can, and since you can't, you must not be a God either. So he goes to God, and God tells him to, what it means. And so he goes back to Pharaoh and says, here's what it means. The seven, seven fat cows are seven years of plenty that are going to happen in, your, in Egypt, and we're going to have just incredible harvest and just all kinds of grain and corn. There's going to be just seven years of, of plenty and seven years of blessing. But then there's going to be seven years of famine that are going to be so bad, people are going to forget about the seven years of good, so Joseph tells them, what you need to do, you need to put someone in charge to gather up as much grain as they can, as much corn as they can, as much non-perishable food as they can during the seven good years so that when the seven bad years come, we're able to, to help keep the community alive and, and feed the nation. And so Pharaoh says, that's a great idea. You're in charge. And he puts Joseph in charge of everything in Egypt except Pharaoh. He's the prime minister of Egypt. He, he is over everyone except Potiphar. He's even, except uh, Pharaoh, he's even over Potiphar and his lying wife. Now, Potiphar, I think he had a, a good relationship with Potiphar. But if I were Joseph, that wife and me and are going to have a talk and she's going to end up in prison or dead because of what she lied on me. But Joseph doesn't do that. He doesn't retaliate. He just does what God put him there. So for seven years, he gathers up as much grain, as much corn, as much food as he can. And then the seven years of, of plenty are over and the seven years of famine come. And people start coming to Joseph for food, people in Egypt. And Joseph is able, through what he, through, 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 uh, the, what he had done, he's able to get all the money, all the land, and all the herds in Egypt for Pharaoh. So now Pharaoh is just the richest, most powerful man in the world. Well, the famine gets so bad it reaches where Jacob is and his, his sons in Canaan. And they hear about food in Egypt. So Jacob says to, to Joseph's brothers, the ones that sold him into slavery, go down to Egypt and get us some food that we can survive during this famine. So they pack up, they get their gold together, they go down to Egypt, and they come before Joseph. They don't recognize him because he looks like an Egyptian now. He's got the, the makeup on and the head. He's, he he's looks totally Egyptian. So they don't recognize Joseph. But Joseph recognizes them. He doesn't reveal himself. He continues to speak Egyptian instead of speaking Hebrew. And so he asks them some questions and gives them grain. And then he, he, he puts their gold back in their, in their, secretly puts their gold back in their bags and they go away. And he, it's a whole plan for him to make sure he gets his brothers. But he's trying to test them. And so he keeps one of them captive, sends the rest of them home and says, hey, if you don't come back and bring your youngest brother, this one's going to die. And so, you know, they go back and they tell Jacob, said, hey, this guy said, if we don't come back with, with Benjamin, then Simeon, the one that he kept is going to die. And Jacob, the loving father that he was says, 
oh, well, I got more kids. Doesn't let him take them down. But they ran out of food. So he sends them back down with Benjamin, very scared. And so Joseph goes down there, and it's a whole, again, we're not going to read all of it, but it's a whole little thing he does to test them. And again, he puts his cup in Benjamin's bag, and, you know, they, they leave, and then he has them arrested for Benjamin stealing from him. And so it's this whole big thing. And then Judah, because Joseph's like, I'm, you know, they don't know it's Joseph. Joseph's like, this one stole from me, so this one's going to have to stay here. Y'all can go home. We're going to punish him. And Judah... The one that, that said, let's sell Joseph, steps up and says, whatever you're going to do to him, let him go, do it to me. We already had a brother that died, and it almost it broke our father's heart, and he could not lose this one too. So I will go in his place. I will die for him. And this just breaks Joseph's heart. And he reveals himself to his brothers. He says, I'm the one you sold into slavery. I'm the one that you hated so much, you decided to get rid of me. Now, put yourself in Joseph's brother's shoes for a minute. You've just, you've just been told that this man who is standing in front of you, seemingly angry with your life in his hands, is the brother you hated so badly you sold into slavery. So when Joseph reveals himself, they weren't like, oh, Joseph! They were like, oh, no. But look what Joseph says in chapter 45, so Genesis 45, starting verse number 5. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be neither earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve life, to preserve you a prosperity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he has sent me to a, sent, made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt." Joseph's outlook on what his brothers had done to him was drastically different than what our outlook would be because he knew God was with him in everything he went through. So he forgives his brothers. His brothers, they return home. They bring Jacob back to Egypt, and he's reunited with a long-lost son, and years go by, and Jacob dies. And Joseph's brothers are like, now that daddy's dead... Surely Joseph's going to retaliate. Surely he's going to seek revenge because he was just being nice before because he wanted us to bring dad down. He wanted to see his, see his father again. But now, you know, dad's dead. Dad's not here to really stop him from doing anything. So now he's going to hurt us. Flip over to Genesis 50, starting in verse number 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before, the, before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive their trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. So right, right now they're lying. They say, Hey, when daddy died, he said you had to forgive us. Joseph, Jacob never said that, but Joseph, he weeps because he's already forgiven them. Look what he says in verse 19. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant unto good to bring to pass. But, okay. but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good 
to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Despite everything that Joseph had been through, despite what his brothers had done to him, he forgives them. He says, you don't even have to ask me to forgive you because, yeah, I, I know you had evil intent when you did what you did. But God was in what you did for a purpose. There's a couple of things that we can learn from Joseph's life here. Number one, we see that God is in control of everything. In every aspect of Joseph's story, God was in control. There is not one thing that happened to Joseph that God wasn't in control of. God controlled his brother's hatred for him. God controlled their plan to sell him into slavery instead of killing him. God was in control of him, him being purchased as a slave by Potiphar. He was in control of Potiphar's wife lying on him and having him thrown into prison. He was in control of the butler and the baker being cast into prison and telling Joseph their dream. He was in control of Joseph being forgotten for two years. He was in control of Pharaoh having a dream that no one could, could, could interpret and bringing him up to put, be put in control of everything in Egypt. God was in control of everything. He was in control of the years of plenty, and he was in control of the years of famine. He was in control of Joseph's brothers coming to him to get food. You know, the purpose of Joseph's story isn't for us to be amazed at Joseph's faith. It's to show us that in everything we face, the good times, the bad times, the times of plenty, times of famine, in everything we go through, God is in control. God is working throughout everything we are going through to bring forth his perfect plan. Which brings us to the second point. Number two, God has a purpose for everything. Joseph lived his life believing that God was with him in every situation. The good times and the bad times. And Joseph had a lot of bad but he never got angry. He never got depressed. He never got vengeful. He trusted God in everything and that changed his outlook on life. He didn't get vengeance on Potiphar or his lying wife. He didn't get revenge on his brothers on how they treated them. He was able to say in every situation, you did this to hurt me, but God had a greater purpose in what you were doing. God had a greater purpose in the pain I was suffering. Joseph believed that God had a purpose for him in that pit. That God had a purpose for him as a slave to Potiphar. That God had a purpose for him as a prisoner. That God had a purpose to put him in the palace so he would be able to preserve the life of his family and keep the line of their Savior alive. The pit led to slavery, which led to Potiphar's house, which led to prison, which was, that led to Pharaoh, so God could use him for good. God used Joseph and his pain to save his family, but also to continue the plan of redemption. See, Joseph's story makes us ask ourselves a question. Do you really believe 
that in every aspect of your life that God is with you and God has a purpose for what you're going through, if you truly believe that, it would change how we respond to the problems we face. It would change how we treat people who hurt us. Because look, if you're Joseph and your brother sold you into slavery, and again, slaves weren't treated well. I don't know how good of a slave master Potiphar was, but I guarantee you the slave traders weren't nice guys. He was beaten. He was mistreated. He was not fed. He was malnourished. He suffered as a slave. Then he gets to Potiphar and doesn't get Potiphar may have treated him well. We don't know. But he's still a slave. Then he's in prison. The Egyptian prisons were filthy. They were literally underground and a lot of waste and sewage and filth would fall down on it was a well he's the number one prisoner if you're the number one prisoner in a sewer that's great but you're still a prisoner in a sewer right so he suffered i'm sure he had diseases he had to fight and rats he had to get rid of and just all kinds of nastiness he had to deal with and things he had to suffer through yeah he he made it to the palace yeah he made it to number two in all of egypt but look what he had to endure to get there. And then you got the guys who put that on you in front of you. You literally hold their life in their hand. If I'm Joseph, I'm like, oh boy. How the tide has turned. We are going to have some fun now. But Joseph honestly, truly forgave them. He never brought it up again. They bring it up. And he says, why are you even bringing that up? Because, yeah, it hurt. Yeah, I had to suffer. But while you were trying to hurt me, I know God was with me. And I know God had a greater plan for what I had to go through. Because if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here right now saving my family from starvation. So, yeah, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. If we truly believe that God was with us and had a purpose for everything, when we suffered, we would have a different aspect, a different outlook on it. We would treat people who hurt us differently. For Joseph, it meant that he just served God. He didn't get bitter. He didn't despair and lose hope. Wherever he was, whatever he was facing, he asked himself, how can I serve God in this situation? For Joseph, believing that meant that he was able to show grace. He told his brothers, don't worry, I'll take care of you and I'll take care of your kids no matter what you did to me. He knew that God had a good plan that included the salvation of his entire family and he was able to extend grace to those that hurt him. His forgiveness... It came from the, his decision that was grounded in the knowledge that God was with him in everything. When we understand that, it helps us handle our problems with grace and offer forgiveness to those that hurt us. So as we close, I'll ask you this question again. Do you truly believe, not just, yeah, theologically it makes sense, but do you believe and live in light of the truth that God is with you 
in every situation, and God has a purpose for what you're going through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.